Welcome to A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World with your host, Anya Cates. This podcast has one mission, to rally a generation that's been labeled and groomed as lazy, triggered, and entitled, and invite us all to write a new story. One of a generation that's willing to challenge the status quo, reject black and white thinking, and opt out of each and every repressive system and box that we've been placed in. Above all else, I want to invite millennials to step up to the plate, to be vulnerable in owning our responsibility to ourselves and for walking this planet through the darkest of days. It's time to dream new dreams, write new stories, and create new futures. The great work begins. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. Oh, this one's going to be a doozy, you guys. <laughs> um, I'm looking forward to it, though. I, I, uh, I've known I wanted to have this conversation on this podcast probably since I started the podcast. Um, and I didn't know when it was going to happen and I didn't know how, and I didn't, I really had no idea actually what I was going to say. Um, and with many things in my life, more so now than before, I try to act from the most intuitive place possible. Um, not from a place of, I really, I should be doing that now. I'm missing out on my opportunity or, um, you know, if I don't do this now, even though it doesn't feel right, like I'm going to fuck it up and, I'm going to miss my chance. I've thought that a lot in life. And every time I sort of just reject that and follow a gut feeling or intuition, specifically when it comes to timing, it works out in the most beautiful and sort of fateful of ways. So that's what I've been doing in recording this episode, um, which is going to be all about my health journey both um, emotional and physical. I would say very much informed by physical health, but as you'll hear, um, contextualized by emotional health. I've broached this sort of broader topic on the podcast through interviews that I've done, um, specifically with Steph Dodier and Steph Godreau. Um, oddly enough, they're both named Steph. Um, but those were probably the most significant podcasts around health, um, where we contextualize it within the space of emotional well-being. So if you haven't listened to those episodes and want to hear other people's perspectives outside of mine, which I highly recommend doing, I'm just a person, <laughs> um, yeah, I would go listen to those. I don't know the episode numbers offhand. Um, one of them was recently and one of them was a little bit before that. Um, so I have talked about this in the context of um, other people, other people's stories, and just in a sort of broad way. But I thought it was important to come on here and tell my personal story. It's sort of ironic timing because just the other day I saw a review on iTunes of my podcast um, that someone said, like, the podcast was too focused on me. And it's interesting to read 
I mean, it's interesting to read reviews, period, positive or negative, but specifically the negative ones, I really kind of enjoy um, for multiple reasons. I think one, it, you know, triggers my capacity to deal with other people's opinions, right? And how am I going to let this affect me? But then also, instead of just rejecting it, it's like, I don't care what people think. If you can sort of be humble enough to actually sort of take it in and process it and think about it and make your own decision around whether someone's feedback is valid or not. I think I certainly have done this where someone said something to me, maybe in not so nice of a way, but that kind of had a point and I rejected it and I wish I hadn't because um, although maybe they were saying it in a negative way, it was valid feedback that I probably could have used in some sort of productive capacity. Um, so I just, I think it's always important to like listen to what people are saying and do the work to listen to our own inner voice. I mean, I did not trust myself for basically my entire life. I had no idea what my opinion was versus someone else's opinion. And so when they would come these sort of like major life decisions or choices that I had to make in my life, I would feel so confused because I didn't know how to connect with my intuition. I had no idea, you know, I feel like I was very much raised, I think a lot of us are in multiple different capacities through whether it's parents or culture, we're, we're brought up in a way not to trust ourselves. And so when something, a choice needs to be made, we're confused because we can't tell the difference between what's our authenticity and what are the voices that surround us and the judgments that surround us and the needs of those and those people around us and the things around us. Um, and I think the farther, I mean, this actually will play a lot into this story about health, but the farther we get away from that place of connecting with our intuition, the harder it becomes, the harder it is to reconnect. Um, and I, I, I can think of so many situations where I would just sit there and, and acknowledge, like, I don't know what I think. I just don't know. And so these exercises, when someone says something to you that you don't love, or even that's positive, right? They could be building you up. We don't necessarily want to take in everything everybody says about us. We need to sort of come up with our own version of things. Um, so anyway, this review said like, your podcast is all about you. And here I am leading up to recording this episode. That's like very much about me <laughs> and, uh, did a little bit of sort of soul searching around whether or not this story was worth telling. And, uh, I decided that it is. And, you know, it's interesting to hear someone say like your podcast is too much about you, especially because I've always I've always preached that like everyone should have a podcast. To me this podcast is a blog. You know, I do obviously focus a lot on guests and interviews and bringing in outside perspectives, but I'm not going to lie that a big part of the podcast was that I didn't hear my voice anywhere and I thought I had a valid thing to say. And so I figured, well, I don't hear my voice anywhere because I'm the only one with my voice. So I better do something and speak up. Not because I needed people to listen, but because I think we only all value from as many differing perspectives as possible. And certainly when I was struggling to hear the voices of people that I could relate to 
and who had experiences similar to mine was immensely healing. So I appreciate that person for their bad review of my podcast. Um, (laughs) And uh, I took it to heart and thought about it. And it made me feel good to not wallow in a state of shame or guilt and just sort of move forward. So um, before I start, I'm going to play you in with a song. And um, this, this story is one of awakening in many ways to a lot of things, but mostly to myself. And the way that I was able to start that process and the way that I've been able to continue that process is through stillness and quiet and calm. I didn't know this for my whole life, but I busied my mind and my body with anything that I could consume so that I wouldn't have to look at these things. And I think I wasn't ready to look at these things. So I don't blame myself. I wasn't doing this consciously or purposefully, but I had to, I had to create noise, static noise around me in order to both distract me from what I wasn't yet able to deal with. Um, but I think also as a valid coping mechanism, but when I was ready to finally go to these places, the way that I got there was through calm and considering the extent to which I was a control freak. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people suggest meditation for something like this. I, I've found that I can tap into meditative spaces through a myriad of different means. I don't, I'm not super into sitting in one place with my eyes closed. Um, so I had to figure out what ways I was able to get to these states of quietness and calm. And the song I'm going to play you guys in with is, um, was sort of imperative to this process. I, when I begun this journey, had just gotten a divorce and I had moved back in with my mom and she was very generous in offering for me to stay there because my home situation uh, down in San Diego was not great. But going back there as an adult made me really conscious of a lot of dynamics that had been present throughout my whole life and dynamics that were quite painful. And I felt trapped in a lot of ways. I felt like here I was sort of breaking out of something, but I couldn't quite break free yet. I was sort of in this weird purgatory space at my mom's. I didn't have my own place. I I felt just very trapped and contained within a space that didn't feel totally calming and safe. But I was there, and I was there for a few months, and I needed to find a way to cope, but also to use the situation, which I definitely did as a huge learning experience. Um, I definitely had to go back into that place to make realizations that 
I needed to make. And so as painful as it was, I know I knew I needed to be there. And I, I said that at the time too. I was like, this is the most horrible place I've ever been in my life. But for whatever reason, I know I'm supposed to be here. And that might have been the first uh, communication I had with my gut, with my intuition, was this concrete knowing that I was exactly where I needed to be. And uh, I heard this song, it was on uh, Chris Ryan's podcast, Tangentially Speaking, which I had started listening to around this time, and he played this song, it's called Grios by Paco Fernandez, and it was beautiful. And I had created a space for myself um, in the room that I was staying in. So initially I had sort of my computer out in the main dining room space, but it just felt too overwhelming. I was going through and having a lot of anxiety. And so I sort of, I bought a little fold out table and put it in the room I was staying in. So I had this little sort of sanctuary of calm and of um, privacy, but obviously I had to leave the room to go, you know, to the bathroom or go make coffee in the morning. And I remember I, after I heard the song, it made me feel so good and so like in the state I wanted to be in all the time that uh, every morning for maybe a month, I put headphones in when I woke up and I played this song on repeat as I went into the kitchen to make coffee. And so I was like able to create this sort of like insular bubble for myself and my own thoughts within a chaotic situation, which is what I think we need to all do when we're trying to get to a place where we're learning how to listen to ourselves. Um, that can be a sort of very meta concept, but I think really like how do you create a bubble of containment so that you're literally and figuratively able to drown out the noise. And this song was a huge part of me starting to figure out how to drown out the noise. So before we get started on this long, windy journey, um, sit back and get into your own little bubble.
As I mentioned, this is a scary story to tell for multiple reasons. It's incredibly vulnerable, um, but it's also a very tricky subject because when you tell a really personal story about something, especially something that a lot of people experience, right? Health issues. And I know a lot of you that listen have been following me since when, uh, from when I had a food blog. And so I feel a sense of responsibility to, to present a story and just let you know that it's mine and that I'm not in the business of projecting the story onto you or your life or your life experience. Um, that would be extremely hypocritical for me to become one of those voices that I was trying to drown out all those years. Like we all need to find our own way, but I do think it's helpful to have, you know, like a charcuterie plate of different options in front of you so that you hear all these different stories and you can sort of take from each of them what you'd like and what was meaningful and find your own way. So that's all that I want to do with this is give you a story. Um, and if you relate to it, great. If you don't, that's telling and also great. Um, but that's also, I think, partially why I resisted 
or was fearful of telling this because the last thing I want to do is cause anybody damage um, by saying this is the way that it always is. So that's my disclaimer. Um, so I, I struggled with physical health issues since I was a baby. I was born, um, from a cesarean section, which I learned and my mother learned much later in life that that, um, definitely negative can negatively affect your microbiome because you do not get the bacteria, um, from your mother's vagina as you're coming out of her. You are just surgically removed from her belly, and the first introduction that you have to um, bacteria of any kind is the hospital room. And if your body isn't sort of prepped with beneficial bacteria and probiotics, then you can be at risk for um, having a microbiome that's less uh, strong um, and healthy than a baby that was born vaginally. Thankfully, my mother nursed me. She fed me very healthy food. Um, but I do think that probably played a role in the initial health problems that I had. I had severe colic as a baby. Ever When I started eating solid food, it started. So uh, colic, for those of you that don't know, is basically I screamed and cried all the time. And interestingly, the only way that my parents could calm me down was to like put a vacuum on or put the shower on and bring me into the space where there was this sort of like static calming noise, uh, which I have to say, like I'm very calmed by the shower still, maybe not the vacuum. Um, but I was a mess. I was streaming and crying all the time when I finally was able to kind of speak. Um, what we discovered is that I had really severe digestive issues and I don't know why. Uh, I don't know if maybe I took a shit as a kid, uh, you know, a toddler, and it was painful, and then I became scared of it. But either way, I was scared to poop. And, uh, you know, my mom tells stories of how we'd, like, be out at a restaurant, and if I felt like I had to go to the bathroom, I would, like, crawl under the table and scream, like, my poopy, my poopy. <laughs> True story, you guys. Um, so anyway, I've, since I was a kid, I like couldn't take a shit. And when I did, I was in the bathroom for hours and I had to get these little like squeezy toys that I could squeeze to help push it out of me. And it was terrible. And this was so common for me and so normal. It lasted until I was around 20. And I mean, it got to the point I was definitely taking a shit maybe once a week but I hadn't known anything different. This was just my reality. And so going to the bathroom is extremely painful and hard. And leading up to those days, you know, in the latter part of the week, I was always nauseous and not hungry and just very sort of traumatized by the whole thing. But the trauma was so integrated that I didn't really even think about it a lot. Um, I do remember when I was in my late teens, I was in a band and we toured around the country. And I remember being really concerned about like, how is this going to work? Like, how am I going to go to the bathroom for two hours when I have to go? Like, how am I going to deal with that? Um, somehow I managed. 
Uh, but that was sort of the first time that I really thought consciously about the fact that this was like a weird problem that I had. And then I, what's the sequence of events here? I moved to Amsterdam for my year abroad. And this was a hard decision in general. I was with, I had a boyfriend who I had been seeing at that point for four or so years. We were quite, quite close. I think we were living together. And I made this decision to go out of the country, much to his dismay. Um, but I knew I had to do it. And I also sort of, when I changed the entire um, sort of trajectory of my career, I initially went to school because I thought I wanted to be an actress. And so I took a lot of theater classes. But because the school that I went to um, was cool, Sarah Lawrence, shout out, can't imagine having gone to any other school. Um, we didn't have to declare majors, and so we could kind of take whatever classes we want. So within uh, the theater classes I took, I also took a couple of classes around gender and sexuality. And those were the classes and the spaces where I felt so alive. I really started to dislike acting. I I didn't like anything about it, and what I couldn't get enough of was sex and gender. Um, I took a course my first year of college called The Invention of Homosexuality, and the book that we read first was actually called The Invention of Heterosexuality, because heterosexuality was coined as a term after homosexuality. Anyway, um, it was fascinating, and I... Um, I felt alive, and so initially I was going to go abroad and go to an acting conservatory in London. I am so fucking glad I didn't do that. I went to a gender and sexuality program in Amsterdam, Amsterdam, which was a little tough for me in terms of convincing my um, family, uh, mostly my mom, that that was a valid option. My mom had always wanted to become an actress, and... I think she was sort of bummed out that I had <clears throat> abandoned that and had sort of chosen a, a topic that was much more aligned with my father's interests. I mean, to be fair, my dad is an artistic director and has been in, in the theater his whole life, but my dad is gay. And so it was just kind of one of those things where I definitely had to make a kind of hard, authentic decision to go and do what I wanted to do. And... I actually found the an email that I wrote to my dad right before this of like, I found this program and I've always sort of told myself that gender and sexuality isn't a valid thing that I could study. You know, like, I don't know what I'm going to do with that in my life, but if I'm going to fly halfway across the world to do a program like this, shouldn't I be doing it around something I can't fucking get enough of and that makes me feel so happy and that I'm on the right path? It's fascinating to read that email many, many years later. Um, all of that to say, I went to Amsterdam and my health problems disappeared. I hadn't changed my diet. I, at the time, I think accredited to the fact that I was eating oatmeal every morning, but I ate a fair bit of oatmeal before that and I still had these digestive problems. Um, I was also working out regularly and so I definitely accredit them to these sort of like physical changes that I made, these dietary physical changes. But now looking back, what I also know was happening during that year was that it was the first year I was that far away from home by myself. So I was independent. I was away from the sort of tight-knit 
tight-knit family dynamic that I had, right? Like if I was an alcoholic, um, I was farthest away from the bar. (laughs) Um, And I had sort of decided halfway through, I was only going to go out to Amsterdam for a, a semester. And then I decided to stay the whole year and sort of had taken a break from my boyfriend at the time and was really free and experimenting and um, did a lot of really crazy things that year, uh, both just in terms of, you know, activities, but also the classes I took were amazing. And I was meeting all these cool people and living in this wildly unconventional progressive city. And I was really happy. I was myself and I was happy. So yeah, I was working out regularly, which maybe I hadn't before, and I was eating oatmeal. (laughs) But maybe also those two decisions were because I was so happy and free. Uh, But regardless, I was such a clear version of myself that felt right. And I definitely knew that at the time. And after I left Amsterdam, I would say for the entirety of my 20s, and especially over the last few years, as I was sort of figuring things out, I was like, how do I get back to the Amsterdam version of Anya? Because if there was any Anya that was the most Anya, it was the one of her in Amsterdam. So I was there for a year. And and obviously, let's also acknowledge the fact that I was in Europe eating European food and not American crap food. So, right, like, this plays a role. Um, And then I went home, and I got back with my boyfriend. Not the greatest of decisions. That relationship was over, but I was um, afraid and didn't want to be alone and had been with him since such a young age and was very codependent and unaware of my emotional relational issues. So we stayed together and all my health problems came back. And around the same time, the two of us together, my boyfriend and I discovered the paleo diet. Um, We sort of learned about how carbohydrates were what were quote unquote bad for you, processed carbohydrates at least. We watched this fascinating documentary called Fathead, where this guy tried to debunk supersize me um, in the sense of this isn't just about eating crappy food. The reason he gained so much weight and got so unhealthy was because he was eating so much processed carbohydrates. And so this guy did the exact same experiment. What was his name? Morgan Spurlock, maybe? He did the exact same experiment where he ate fast food for the same amount of time, but he didn't drink soda and he didn't eat the the bread, the bun on the burger. And I think maybe he didn't eat the french fries. He ate all the other food, like all the other crappy food, the cheese, the meat, all of it. And he not only didn't get unhealthier, he actually got healthier. And it was, I was super intrigued by this. Um, And I had a friend at the time that was pretty into health and had her own health issues and so had sort of experimented with every sort of diet under the sun. And I remember asking her about it and she was like, yeah, that's, that's a valid point. Um, and so through that, we discovered Mark Sisson who had a blog, Mark's daily apple. And it was all about sort of like eating and, and doing activities that were very, um, prehistoric in nature, paleo. And through that, the paleo movement started to grow and, um, I was pretty 
I was pretty much a Nazi about all of that. I was, it was the first time that I became really cognizant about what I was putting into my body. And I, over time, a long time, but it became extremely neurotic and controlling. Um, but the health issues that I had, at least digestively, got better. They improved, I would say, at least. I definitely felt like there was something to this that was good and healthy. And I sort of realized the extent to which I consumed sugar and processed foods. And it was good. It was good in many ways. Um, but it became something not so good. It started good. <laughs> it started from a healthy place and ended in a not so healthy place. And I think part of that was because maybe a year or two after that, after sort of starting this diet, I was on hormonal birth control since I was 16. And at this point I was 22 uh, and I had had a couple conversations with friends and I didn't really know much about any of this, but I sort of, especially given the new diet I had and the new way that I was looking at life and what I was putting in my body, being on this hormonal pill didn't feel right anymore. I had never ever had any side effects from the pill. I, nothing like it worked. It felt like it worked really well, but then I went off of it and about six months later, now, contextually, this also happened around the time that I did finally break up with my boyfriend. So I broke up with my boyfriend. I had very recently gone off the pill. I had started seeing someone else. I moved out of my uh, mom's house, which I was sort of staying in up until now. Graduated college, so <laughs> lots going on. Uh, break up, graduate college, move out of your house, get a job. I was working at Whole Foods, start dating a new person, and I started getting these recurrent styes on my eye. Never had a sty in my life. And they were fucking painful, and they were like jumping from one eye to the other, and I would get two at a time, and they were swollen, and they hurt, and I had to work and go to work with these things on my eye, and I couldn't figure out what it was, and I was wearing contacts at the time and stopped wearing contacts and glasses, and... The styes eventually went away. I went to some doctor and got some sort of like antibiotic eye drop. But then the styes gave way to acne. First, it was just on my forehead and maybe my chin a little bit. And I had never had acne in my life, not even like when I hit puberty. And at first, it didn't really like it wasn't something I paid attention to. I didn't notice it. I wasn't super conscious of it. I wasn't sort of neurotic over it. I just was like, oh, this is kind of annoying, but whatever. It never went away, though. Um, I had acne starting at 22 uh, until basically now. <laughs> um, and it was moderate and not so great. Um, I The digestive issues were for the most part okay, but in trying to solve these hormonal problems, or I didn't know if they were hormonal. I thought I have acne because of I'm eating dairy. Maybe I should stop dairy. I'm ha I have acne because I cheat with pizza once in a while. I should stop that. Oh, quit alcohol, work out more, work out for less time, work out for more time, uh, meditate more. Um, I mean, I tried every supplement and every health tactic under the sun and nothing helped, but it stayed at bay for the most part. So it wasn't something that controlled my life. And then when did it start? 
it was a, I noticed it getting really bad. I had moved to San Diego from New York. I went alone. Um, the man that I was with who I ended up marrying, uh, came about eight months later and a year or two after that, I don't really remember. I had learned he cheated on me. I was also leaving my job and starting my own business. And again, lots of stress was going on. And the acne got like pretty bad. It started, it was on my cheeks for the first time, whereas before it was just sort of on my forehead and my chin, but it started appearing on my cheeks and it became quite cystic. And this is when I really started paying attention to it. And it was really starting to bother me. And in response to it getting worse, I again started fooling around more with health stuff. So I started cutting out more foods and I became more neurotic about that and nothing was fucking working. I had met with naturopaths and we'd done all these tests and I was taking all these supplements and topical and, and internal and like, again, everything, nothing made a difference. And it was during this sort of period of time, it was, it was pretty bad. And, um, it was right before I had decided my husband and I worked on our shit, went to a lot of therapy and we decided we were going to get married, um, and buy a house and renovate a house. All great decisions in retrospect. Um, but it was sort of during this time, I guess kind of a little bit before the wedding when we were doing the house, like all this stuff was going on, but it was the first time that I really started to make the correlation between my stress and the acne. And I read a book, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers, and I remember reading in this book about how, you know, there was some study or observation that was made about these young children who were kept in a really traumatic environment. I think they were like orphans and they were basically imprisoned and didn't have enough food to eat. And as a response to the stress, they stopped growing. And that fact in particular was like maybe one of the most profound facts that I learned in that book and that I thought about consistently because it was like, oh, okay. So if you can stop growing as a reaction to stress, like, well, no shit I have pimples on my face. You know, maybe I'm not so stressed out that I'm going to stop growing, but it certainly made sense to me that my emotional well-being could factor into stress and that stress caused all of these problems. And especially maybe because it's tied to digestion and, like, we were built for, you know, when you're in a dangerous situation and you need to, like, run away from a lion, your body stops doing what it normally does because it needs to take all the attention and sort of uh, project it into adrenaline and survival mode. And your nervous system is shot and your digestion stops working. That's why there's the whole thing about like shitting yourself when you're afraid because your body's like, I don't have time to digest and I certainly don't have, it's not going to be like, I need to get rid of body weight in order to run away from this tiger. And so all these things sort of they started coming together for me, but on a very low-level, semi-conscious place. Um, I wasn't yet ready to confront 
where the source of the real stress was outside from kind of these external superficial things. Like, well, I'm stressed because the house is getting built, not because I'm in a toxic relationship or not because I have childhood trauma I haven't addressed. It was very superficial, but at least I was starting to make these connections. And then I started working with um, uh, a couple of women um, who were great. Um, Alex and Megan, actually, Ginger... Are they still called? Oh, Zesty Ginger, I think is their name now. They work with women and they focus on um, hormonal issues specifically. Um, And I started working with them and I was really relieved to kind of finally feel like I was going in the right direction and working with people that knew what they were doing. And I went on some supplements and things improved. My skin improved. It wasn't perfect, but it definitely improved. And I got married and it was it was fine. (laughs) For seven months after that, and then I decided I was going to leave my marriage. Well, honestly, I met somebody, and that provoked the decision. And that's when things got really bad. Um, the skin issues had resolved maybe 85%, but it wasn't good enough for me. And I had just started working with... Um, Alex and Megan, and we decided to do some more testing. So like, what's the hormonal issue here going on? What are the digestive issues going on? And this was all, it was unplanned, but this was all happening at the exact same time that I decided to get divorced and move out of my house and move in with my mom, et cetera, et cetera. So I left my husband and for about two months, I think I was surviving on just pure adrenaline of the fact that I was able to get out of something that I wanted to get out of, but didn't know how, or didn't feel strong enough to. And I was with this guy that was really cool and I felt really cool and we were traveling all around and I felt great looking back very superficially great, but I felt great. But then I was doing these protocols with Alex and Megan. And so because my skin wasn't perfect, I was still a little bit self-conscious about it. Looking back, like it was fucking pristine. Like, <laughs> what was I doing? But I decided to go. The first thing I did was that I went. I guess the te- we took a stool sample and it said I had parasites, and so I was going to go on a parasite cleanse, which involved taking sublingual drops in my mouth and a certain type of supplement that kills parasites, and also doing coffee enemas. And. Also around this time, again, I had just moved in with my mom, and I had had a thought, I remember once driving from San Diego to LA, and I was in the car, and I was very manic around everything, (laughs) leaving my husband, dating this new guy, and I remember having the thought to myself, There's something wrong here that I'm not more upset and sad and grieving the loss of this relationship in my marriage. How is it that I haven't felt any feelings around this? How is is it that I'm not crying about this? There's something wrong with that. I just had that thought, kind of let it stay there, and then continued on with my manic life. 
but all these things were happening at the same time. And I, I started doing this parasite cleanse and it was, they, I was told it's going to probably get, your problems are going to get worse before they get better. So fine. So I was breaking out a little bit more and I thought, no, nope, no big deal. And then it got worse. And I remember like over the course of a few days, suddenly the acne got as bad as it had been when it was the worst that it had been like overnight. <laughs> And that was traumatizing. And I I didn't think to myself, I should take it easy on my body and I should just allow myself to rest. I thought I should keep going. And not only should I keep going, but I should go harder. So I should do more coffee enemas. I should up the dosage. I can handle it. I can handle the detox symptoms. I just want to get this out of my body as quickly as possible. But it got so bad that I was now like embarrassed to see this new guy that I was seeing. And so I told him I couldn't see him anymore. And I was, I was honest, not initially, but eventually I was honest about why. I mean, it was a multitude of reasons. Part of it was like, I just have a feeling I need to figure this out. I can't leave one person for another. I had done that the time prior. And I just thought like, I need to be alone and sort this out. And also I'm breaking out and I'm embarrassed which triggered the worst, most traumatic seven or so months of my life. So this was between March of February, March of 2016 and like November of 2016. The first few of those months I was living with my mom and then I moved out of her place and moved into my own place in Topanga. And my... I did all these, I did all the cleanses and detoxes and all the stuff I was supposed to do. And just, it got so bad. My face was basically deformed. And it, and for those of you that haven't like struggled with acne, even severe acne, like there's people just think of it in a much more mild way than it can actually get. But it got I mean, it was so bad. I couldn't sleep because it hurt to sleep. I couldn't eat and open my mouth to eat food because the cysts were so deep and painful. And not to mention the aesthetic aspect of this. And what it did, what this experience did, I mean, I could write 10 books about what this experience did, but there was a specific thing that this did where... I have always been a pretty attractive, normal, you know, weight person. I knew that I could always fall into my beauty and the extent to which I could be like not just a good wife and partner, but also like a sexually embodied, attractive woman. Like it was so easy to me for me to fall into that as my value. It was also very easy for me to fall into my competence in um, work and career matters. So I really found a lot of my self-worth in how I looked and how well I, how good of an employee I was. And this illness, whatever it was that came over me, stole both of those things away. It took away all the ways in which I saw myself as valuable. And 
I remember asking myself at one point during this period of time, like, Anya, if you lost your arm, would you still love yourself? And the answer was like, I almost laughed because the answer was so obviously no. I realized I had no idea what my value is. And to go even further than that, I didn't know what my value was because I had no idea who I was. My whole life had been based on the value that other people had projected onto me. And also the lack of value that they projected onto me, right? Both of those things go together. I read Drama of the Gifted Child um, by Alice Miller, which I've talked about a lot on here, where she relates sort of this like grandiosity to depression, that they're sort of one in the same tactics to avoid the self. And so depression is just a shutting down and, a, and grandiosity is a distraction, but both are distractions away from truth and pain and grief and trauma. Um, so all that to say, I, I, I entered into a, I entered into a very dark place. I didn't see anybody except one friend, um, who had also struggled a lot with skin issues. And so even though I felt really embarrassed even to be with her, she was the one person that I felt safe with. But I saw nobody. I had stopped. I had decided I was going to stop speaking to my mom. Um, I had stopped seeing this guy. I had actually I moved up to L.A. because this guy lived here. And uh, my friend Emily was moving out here. Emily is this friend, by the way, um, who supported me in a time of great need. Um, and my mom. But I had stopped seeing my mom. And I stopped seeing this guy. And Emily was the only one left. And I definitely dumped a lot of bullshit on her as well. But um, I didn't see, I literally didn't see anybody else for seven months. I would avoid going out as much as I could. I got um, like groceries delivered to my place. I ordered everything on Amazon when I had to go out, which became mostly just for therapy. It was horrible and horrific. I stopped, I put my hair up in a bun and pretty much left it there for seven months putting my hair down for some reason or putting on makeup or doing anything to make myself look nice. I didn't want to be seen because I was so embarrassed to exist like this. I just did nothing. I didn't take care of myself. It was painful to do everything. It was painful to cook for myself. Painful in every sense. It was to take care of myself felt so awful. And I tried, again, like we tried every remedy under the sun for the health stuff. But I got to a point with all of the work that I was doing in therapy and reading books and I'd started listening to podcasts and creating this insular bubble of calm, right? As isolated as I was and as much as I don't think any form of isolation is a valid place to be and live in this world. Loneliness is extremely dangerous, but I think when we, and I think we all are so affected by the messages coming at us that we have to, we have to be taken away from those things in order to figure out what the truth was. And I, I started to become actually quite grateful for what my body was doing because I knew 
I had stopped seeing this guy and I, I know consciously I thought if my skin problems went away tomorrow, even though I know it would be a bad idea to call him and hang out with him, I would do it anyway. Because that's how desperate I was. And so then I started to get into a mindset of this is going to go away when it's supposed to go away. And I just need to live in it now. I need to live in this space now. And it was both the darkest and most beautiful time in my life. I felt emotions I hadn't ever felt. I became connected to the earth in a way I didn't know was possible. I started to understand that meditation was not a checking out, but actually like a checking in. And I was receiving these sort of like messages and intuitive, um, yeah, intuitive messages from my body. I developed a spiritual practice, which for me was very tied into astrology. And I became obsessed with stories and mythology. And I slowly but surely started to learn more about myself. And then I, through the work that I was doing with these women still, we f I finally went on hormones. I, f I forget exactly what they were, um, but there was little droplets I put on the, my tongue. I don't think they were actually hormones. They like mimicked hormones. So they were supposed to basically trigger your body into fixing this problem. And through the testing that I did, it showed that my like progesterone was basically at like below postmenopausal level. And at this point, my digestive system was still struggling from God knows what the stress, the, the emotional stress that I was under, but also the physical stress that I'd put my body under by doing all those parasite cleanses and like coffee enemas and shitting out six foot long parasites, which God knows how long they were in there. Oh, and by the way, a note on this, another one of these sort of clues along the way, um, before I went to therapy and I was very early on, right when I had find out had found out that I had parasites. I was I had was talking. I had a couple of conversations with like an intuitive health coach over the phone, and I remember saying to her, "I had parasites," and she said, "Parasites are a boundary issue," and that was a light bulb because I realized I had none. And here I was sitting in my mother's house, like. <laughs> feeling completely overwhelmed and accosted and I didn't know how to create any boundaries. And so that was another sort of connection that I was making to my physical body and my mind and my life. So anyway, I was, I was, I was struggling and eventually I went on these hormones and pretty quickly the skin issues started to heal. It was like, I started on these hormones and it was it was, it was magic. It was really like in a couple of days, this stuff got a lot better. Um, not all the way, but it got a lot better and it got better and it got better. And then there was like a two week period where like, I didn't, I wasn't breaking out at all. I just had severe scarring, but I could kind of cover it up with makeup. And Two weeks passed, and of course I accredited all of this to the medication I was on, because what else changed? Looking back, I realized what else changed was the calm that I felt in feeling like I had a solution and a cure to the problem, which is a big deal. And then I reflected back on the time this happened before when I had taken supplements and the problems had gone away, which was maybe that were, there was also, also a huge sense of relief and a reduction of stress in feeling like I may have found the solution 
So was it the supplements that cured me or was it just the faith that there was a solution that cured me? I don't know. But I was on these hormones and things were better and I decided to go start seeing this guy that I had stopped seeing for seven months. And there was, again, a little bit of an initial phase of manic behavior and adrenaline and then the problems started coming back. But I had changed nothing. And also, granted, by this time, my diet was, like, extremely restrictive. I wasn't eating gluten. I wasn't eating dairy. I was, like, I was not eating much of anything. But I started seeing this guy again, and the skin problems slowly crept back. And so then I'm at this point, like, okay, so you're on the same exact protocol. Nothing has changed aside from what you're doing in your external life. So, okay, noted. And I saw him for another seven months after that. And things got progressively bad and worse to where I could no longer ignore my body. And... Not only what were the skin issues sort of there, they ne- it never got as bad as it got during that initial period of living at my mom's and moving into Topanga, but um, it, it wasn't good by any means. Um, and by then I was so neurotic about it that like I was picking at my skin and, you know, acne that probably I wouldn't have even noticed when these problems first arose. I was so acutely aware of, and I would wake up in the morning, the very first thing I would do is look in the mirror and like examine my skin in like the most acute way to figure out what was healing and what had appeared. And I was a mess. I was, I I considered putting like, like mirrors became my worst enemy. (laughs) I considered, I, I thought like if I was on a desert Island with no mirrors and no person, I'm pretty sure this stuff would go away. Like, I recognize that so much of the problem was the way that I was relating to the problem. But people would tell me, oh, don't get stressed out about it. Like, how can I not get stressed out about the fact that my face is fucking deformed? And may always be, because scars don't really go away. Anyway, those problems persisted. And then I started getting these, like, upper shoulder and back pains. Like, badly. And... I got a book by Louise Hay, I think her name is, which I didn't really read. It was like how to cure your life or how to heal your life or something. But she had this whole book that equated certain physical ailments with emotional states. And that by, you know, her whole thing was if you address these emotional things, you're going to cure these health problems. Which sounded a little hokey, but by this point, this stuff was starting to make some sense to me. And I remember reading the description around like tension and pain in the upper shoulders and neck around a feeling of not being supported. And I definitely didn't feel supported by this person I was with. And I was like laying on the ground with a heating pad. I mean, I could barely move. It was so bad. I'd never had any pain like that before, but that physical pain was part, a big part of the reason why I thought, and decided eventually, I have to fucking get out of this. I have to stop. I'm going to kill myself. Like, And so I stopped. I stopped seeing him. The neck and shoulder pain went away. 
The skin stuff kind of stayed consistent at that point. It slowly got better to where I could leave the house and I could put makeup on and hope that no one would notice. And it steadily improved, but it was always sort of there lurking under the surface. I was still on all of the same supplements. I was still taking the hormones and I was still eating in a pretty restrictive way. And eventually after doing this, I was on my own. I joined an astrology apprenticeship. I was making new friends. I had a social life again, to some extent. I was still pretty isolated, but it was a lot, a lot better. So the health stuff at least became manageable, but it still wasn't better. And I started to also recognize that I had now a relationship, especially to the supplements that I was taking, where every time I would kind of get up to take them, I felt this like really intense anxiety and PTSD and nausea around taking them. So that wasn't great. Um, And I didn't know if like, should I ignore this? And this is like, it makes sense that I have this trauma because I've been taking these pills for so long and they just kind of remind me of the problem or, or is this a sign I should stop taking them? And last November, so almost a year ago, um, things in my emotional life started to get quite a bit better. I finally met people that were really in alignment with who I was and who really cared for me in a deep, profound way. I felt seen for the first time and... You know, I, I, for a very long time, was completely unable to trust people. And I learned, was learning how to trust people and learning how to be imperfect and, you know, still believe that I could be loved, but that I wasn't basing my worth and my value on other people's love. And things started to get better. And what happened was I, I started to get kind of distracted from the pills and the supplements Like, I wasn't taking them as frequently. And again, the problems were still there. They're manageable, but they were pretty persistent. And at at some point in January of this year, maybe February, I thought, you know what? I'd rather, if I'm just going to, like, have moderate acne for the rest of my life, I'd rather have moderate acne and not take any supplements and eat whatever the fuck I want than have moderate acne and take a lot of supplements and have a really restricted diet. And at this point, I'd done so much soul searching and learned so much about health and my own health and how, you know, I very much equated my initial digestive issues growing up to, sure, maybe they were instigated by some sort of physical issue, But I had a very traumatic childhood, and I was tense and on edge and felt unsafe, so of course I couldn't shit. Like, all this stuff made sense to me. And so in February, I thought, fuck it. Let's just see what happens. (laughs) So I stopped taking every supplement. I stopped taking all the hormones. And I started eating and drinking whatever I wanted. I hadn't had beer in years. I love beer. Well, I love IPAs. I started drinking beer. <laughs> I was eating pizza. Pizza is my favorite fucking food. I bought 
glutinous bread for the first time and brought it home and put actual butter on it because I wasn't eating dairy. I was having ghee. And I got home with this loaf of fresh fucking baked bread from Whole Foods and smeared butter on it. And I cried. Because I realized how much I had kept myself from so much pleasure. And I made a point to increase the pleasure in my life in terms of food, in terms of sex, in terms of intimacy and relationships. I started just relaxing more and laying out in the sun and immersing myself with people and in experiences with people that I loved. And that was February and things just got better and better and better and better. And I knew at some point I had met someone that did like an energy healing thing for me, like Reiki, but not Reiki. And she came over to my apartment. This was before all of this. So this was still before my sort of external emotional life got better. And we talked a lot about the health stuff. And I remember saying like, you know, I think there's part of me that's afraid to let go of the health problems because they've been so useful in alerting me to a problem. And if I don't have my body poking me and telling me that something's wrong, I might continue to make the same mistakes. And so maybe instead of fighting this, I just need to trust that this is going to go away when my body is confident that I'm aware enough and in, am in touch enough with my intuition to where I don't have to rely on my body to tell me when something's wrong or not. And I just had faith. I just had faith that I was going to figure it out. And again, that when the problems went away, or when the problems were supposed to go away, they'd go away. And it really wasn't until a couple of months ago that it just got so much better. And I cared less about the scarring on my face or who saw it or concealing or hiding behind my hair and being ashamed. And I started feeling pr pretty again for the first time, but this was a prettiness and a beauty and an embodiment that went so far beyond my physical body that I realized that it's okay to feel sexy and beautiful as long as that's not where you rest your entire self-worth in. And I realized I could still feel valuable as both a loyal partner and as a really sexy woman and that those things could be healthy as long as they weren't a reflection of what someone else wanted. And again, the thing I based my entire value in. So, so much came full circle. And, you know, I'm at a place now where certainly in terms of food and health, like if I'm drinking a lot or I'm just eating bad food consistently, I don't feel great. But none of those things made me as sick as I got. What made me as sick as I got was a complex, interwoven dynamic that 
where my body and my mind were working in tandem with one another to alert me to a problem or to alert me to a problem that was solved. And now I can make decisions because I'm in touch with my body. I can make decisions because I'm in touch with my mind. I know what feels healthy and unhealthy. Now I feel it everywhere. Everything's integrated. Everything's flowing. I'm always in that insular bubble where I hear myself and listen to myself. And that's not to say that there aren't times where I still get confused or I'm still hesitant to trust. That definitely happens. I've had a bunch of those situations just in the past couple weeks. I still struggle sometimes. I still get confused and don't know. But I come back to my body. I mean, this morning I like sat in the shower for a good 20 minutes and just existed with myself. And I now even know that like if something happens or someone says something to me or someone hurts me or I'm feeling insecure, anxious, like I start picking up my skin. Like it's a very clear <laughs> correlation. Um, so, you know, and I wonder if we extend this broader and this is where it gets tricky and where I don't want to project my experience onto other people, but I grew up with people my age, young people, millennials especially, we're all very sick physically. You know, chronic illness, chronic Lyme, autoimmune issues. And I know so many people who have these issues. I've lived in this world for so long with my blog, with the companies that I worked for in the natural products industry. I'm, I know these people. I was one of these people. And I know how many of them are also going through the same thing of trying every single fucking protocol and supplement and detox and IV and breath work and this and this and this and this. And we so often can't figure it out. And I think that had I been a part of a community or a world or family or anything where people could support each other in pain and in grief, of which we have a lot of, that we could process these things out of our body in a way where we didn't feel like people didn't have to feel like I felt a loose, isolated in an apartment for seven months, like doing this work on my own. And so I tell this story because if there is anyone else out there who is in the same boat, the last thing I want is to like hide in a closet and make them go through this alone. I want more of us to band together and create spaces where we can deal with these things where people aren't going to shame us or make us feel badly. I mean, to really delve deep into the emotional roots of health problems, if they're there, I mean, that path can go very deep and very far, and it can be very dark much worse than anything I ever dealt with, you know? And I, I, I don't want to live in a world any longer where people don't feel safe going to these places. 
I, for whatever reason, had the courage to go there, even though I didn't feel safe. And I'm really glad that I did. But I know that not everyone has the resources that I have or had, whatever. And I just want to be a resource to anybody that wants to examine this stuff. And, you know, eventually this this isn't a blame game. This isn't like my parent treated me poorly or this bad thing happened to me and and therefore I got really sick and the grief around that and like we don't want to blame our parent. Like none, We don't have to blame anybody. You know, we can see the health issues as a gift. We can examine them in a cohesive way. We can confront the pain that's associated with acknowledging the amount of pain we may have felt in the past and are still feeling. But people are sick all around me and people are neurotic about food and about diet and about exercise all around me. And I can't help but correlate those to this awakening that I think we're all going through or trying to go through, the world's trying to push us through this awakening of recognizing that we're not living the life and we're not in the right fucking world. This isn't natural. The way that we work and sleep and eat and organize our lives and raise children, it's all wrong. So of course we're sick. And of course we're emotionally sick. And of course, all of those things are working all together. So I guess that's all I have to say about this. <laughs> I want nothing more than to help us if we can break away from anything that is making us feel unworthy or untrusting or alone. You know, I, I bought land in Colorado to bring up a, a physical, tangible aspect to all of this. And I started the podcast because I really wanted to nurture a community. I bought land because I want to further nurture that community. And I think we need to make the, it needs to be comprehensive, right? If we're going to create worlds it has to be both tangible and intangible. It has to be both about the thoughts we think and the values that they ha we have and the ways we think about ourselves and others. But then we have to take those ideas. We can't just sit here and talk about them. We can't just have like an intellectual circle jerk around all the ideas that we have of how we're going to make the world better. Like that's the start. Those ideas are important. We have to take those ideas and we have to put them into practice. I mean, in my mind, life is made up of Reality is made up of two things, like internal and external, physical and esoteric. And I want to merge them. I, I want to merge the two. I want to create a space where the two can be merged, where we can put our feet down on land and feel like we belong in every way that we could belong. We have people nearby that we can touch and hug and who can love us and can hold us when we cry. And we can have intellectual conversations with people that share our interests and are curious and desiring of going to, to deep and scary places, all in an effort to get closer to all of our truth. 
And I think being open and honest and telling our stories and in being vulnerable in all of that and in asking each other tough questions and in asking for support for one another and in knowing that whatever happens, it's all going to end up in an okay place. I just saw my mom for the first time a couple nights ago for the first time in two and a half years. It was impulsive as fuck. (laughs) I'd had a plan to kind of maybe see her next month, but I decided on a whim to just get it over with. I never thought I was going to be able to do that. I never thought I was ever going to be able to find people that actually saw me and loved me for who I was. I I thought I was going to live a life of isolation. Like if uh, I'm finally going to be who I want to be, but I'm never going to find anyone that's like that. So I just have to commit to like, I might be on my own and doing all of it. The amount of things that have happened and expanded and transformed and the amount of things that have appeared in my life that I didn't ever know was possible appeared. Everything's a process and a cycle. I'm never going to go back to the way things were. I don't want to, but we move like one of the most beautiful parts of angels in America, which is a play and was made into an HBO film that I talk about all the time. It, it confronts this idea of humans and our proclivity toward movement, forward movement. And I think it's really important. I think it's a beautiful thing to recognize that as humans, we are, you know, we're, we are always going to move forward. We're, (laughs) we're not stagnant. Um, but there's a danger there in moving forward, right? Because by moving forward is how we got to the place that we are now with civilization and agriculture and corporations and, It's bloomed out so far beyond our control. But I don't want to demonize movement. I don't want to demonize, like, desire in any sense. Progress is a very complicated word. Um, And progress can sometimes look like going backwards. Progress can sometimes look like a circle. I do very much feel that that's the progress we need. It's cyclical. So I love astrology so much. Everything's a cycle. Everything comes back to itself. And we learn more about a thing every time a planet returns. And I think that's beautiful. And in going through any process like this with ourselves, there's a huge fear around like not knowing what's up ahead. Is there a light up ahead? Is it going to be better? Is it going to be worse? It could be all of them and it could be one of those things. But to just trust that you're on the right path and to listen to yourself and your body and pick up on the things that are coming into your life and the people that are coming into your life and fully absorb them and don't avoid them and go into the scary places. Beautiful things come out of that. And just be patient and be still and don't rush and listen and be present and cry a lot. (laughs) I have no idea how long I've been talking for, but I think that's a good place to end it. I am going to play you out with a beautiful song called You Can't Rush Your Healing by Trevor Hall. I cried deep and long tears when I listened to the song. 
and uh, I encourage you all to feel all the things all the time. Create an insular bubble for yourself. Listen to yourself. Learn about yourself. And then emerge and blossom and know that you are a part of something so much bigger than yourself. And there are people and beautiful places and beautiful things and ideas that will be there waiting for you. And or know that at the very least, that there's a chick wearing socks with carrots and radishes on them and a man's t-shirt sitting in a desk chair in Topanga, California, who loves the fuck out of you and who trusts that you're exactly where you're, you need to be and you're going exactly in the right direction and that you are capable and brave enough to do anything in your life. Talk to you next week.
time is such a wonderful gift You're not running out You're really running in Confusion clouds the heart But it also points the way Rush your healing